December 27th. My name is Critch and you are tuned in to Canadian Patriot Radio. Hello, my friends. The long way home. Super tramp. Kind of describing what Carrie Lake is going through right now. <laughs> Which is going to be the focus of the show. <clears throat> um, not just in particular Carrie Lake, but some of the comments she's made uh, recently about sovereignty, about state sovereignty, and uh, the provi- pro- some of the provinces in Canada really focusing on provincial sovereignty is going to be our focus uh, on this show. Um, I think that this, this rhetoric and this movement uh, by provinces and states is the right action uh, to basically take back power from wayward um, fascist liberals that masquerade or fa- fascists that laugh that masquerade as liberals in this country uh, to take power back from them is the best thing we could possibly do now we'll get into that topic in the bulk of the show but what i wanted to do first i know i didn't uh, didn't get on the air before christmas but we've got to really pay attention to some of the dumb crap coming out of the government of canada um in part- in particular health canada um i'm not sure if um, probably a lot of you saw dr Teresa tam dr tranny tam's um call with mrs claus with the north pole i just kind of wanted to highlight that and then we'll go through some new interesting developments in uh child deaths in the country let's listen to dr tranny tam and and mrs claus Well, kids, I'm just doing my yearly call to the North Pole for Santa's holiday health check. <laughs> Why, hello, Dr. Tan. Mrs. Claus, so good to see you again. Where did Santa go? Oh, Santa was late for snow yoga with the elves and reindeer. He says it's great cross-training for sleigh driving. Sounds fun. Are you all set for the holiday season? Of course. I I must say, Dr. Tam, it just warms my heart to see everyone in Canada, especially kids, working so hard to keep the holidays safe and cheerful for all. So am I, Mrs. Claus. Every child in Canada has definitely earned a place on the nice list. Their parents and caregivers, too. It's been a tough season with lots of viruses making people sick. Thankfully, Santa and I are feeling as healthy as ever. We are both up to date with our vaccinations, including COVID boosters and flu shots. That's so good to hear. I always tell Santa to make a list and check it twice. One, stay up to date on your vaccinations. Two, wear a mask in crowded indoor places and make sure it fits nice and snug. Three, Wash your hands to the tune of jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Great advice. Great voice too. Also, you can be sure to stay at home if you're feeling sick. And if you're gathering indoors with other people or elves, open a door or a window for a few minutes at a time to let in some fresh air. The more items you check off the list, the more protected you are. Yes, you can think of it like decorating a tree. You need tinsel, lights, ornaments, and the star on top. The tree is at its best when all the decorations are up and nicely layered. Thanks, Mrs. Claus. Happy holidays, everyone. I would just like to point out that Tranny Tam's uh, Adam's apple was on full display in that little video. Now, being that um, Tranny Tam and uh, Mrs. Claus are pushing, once again, pushing vaccines, on the Canadian public, let's let's um, dig a little bit deeper into what's happening 
in the Canadian public, shall we? Now, this information comes to us by Dr. William Makis, MD, and the title reads, News, 23 Canadian children dead suddenly in the past month. What the hell is going on? Many deaths are being blamed on influenza or strep throat. Now, let's just take a step out for a minute. When was the last time you ever heard of a child or anybody for that matter dying from strep throat? I myself had chronic strep throat as a child, chronic. Like every once every three months had it. H horrible, didn't like it, not, not, definitely not the most pleasant thing in the world. Antibiotics and boom, I was back, back running. Why it was chronic in me, I have no idea. <laughs> but it just was. But <clears throat> it, it lasted for probably about three years where I was getting it probably every three to six months. I would get, I would come down with strep. Now kids, they're saying, are supposedly dying of strep throat. Let's carry on. Many of the deaths are being blamed on influenza or strep. This non-flu sudden death no one seems to care about. In BC, there's been six deaths, ages 1 through 5, uh, th uh, and then three that were 5 to 11, and two teens. In Alberta, there's been six deaths, age, uh, ages um, from the flu, supposedly the flu, four, six, two, two seven-year-olds and a 13-year-old, and one sudden death of a 1.5-year-old. In Manitoba, there's been three deaths, one from the flu, age five to 17, and two suddenly, ages 15 to 19. Ontario is refusing to give info, and then he's got four question mark. Two from the flu, and two died suddenly. In Quebec, there's three. Two from strep, both age two, and one suddenly age six. In Nova Scotia, one suddenly, one sudden death at age 19. That's at least 23 children in the past month by my count and likely more than that. This information seems to be intentionally difficult to come by. Provincial health authorities are hiding many of these deaths. Oh man. <clears throat> there's more, like there's a, there's a whole nother article that he, he goes into, but I just wanted to cover this in the, in the, uh, the pre-show just just to point out um this f alternate reality that our uh, government and health officials are living in and the actual reality that is now being hidden by the same organizations that these people work for um <clears throat> which is children are dying suddenly and from strep and flu which never ever ever happened before yes you'd have you'd have influenza deaths i'm not i'm not dismissing that yes influenza kills people it is it is a very dangerous virus bug whatever <clears throat> but uh kids never died from strep throat before not never once what what what, what if it actually is strep throat killing these kids what what changed other than vaccinations what is the actual logical um what's the logical conclusion to or what's the logical thought pattern that that any rationally thinking human being will come up to come up with what's the one thing that has changed mrna vaccines or mrna shots <clears throat> bioweapon if you will i just wanted to cover that before we got into uh the bulk of the show my friends which is going to be a focus on uh provincial and state sovereignty we'll we'll uh we'll zero in on carrie lake's fight um for those of you following the case yes uh the judge the judge threw it out, uh, or I, which is staggering because uh, the evidence that was presented in in that court um, was unbelievable, like unbelievable. So either they got to him and threatened, you know, this is this is what I think they did. So the judge already pissed them off by taking the case, the Kari Lake case. So I think what they did was during the case, or once he got through the testimonies, um, they got to him. They basically said, <laughs> you go forward with this and we're going to burn your house down and we'll kill your family. That's pretty much probably what happened. And he came back and there was like a thousand, a thousand plus pages of stuff that he had to go through. And he came back in three days and dismissed the case. Hmm. What do you think happened there, my friends? Anyway, let's, uh, let's get this show started. We'll be right, right back with uh, more on the Carrie Lake story.
Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. to finding the real truth while upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons' command. Okay, welcome back, my friends. What I want to do first is direct your attention to a thread of Tracy Beans's. She's been covering this whole case, and she does a great breakdown of this decision by the judge. Uh, she doesn't go into the depth that I do, where I say he was likely compromised or they threatened him. Uh, she gets into basically the details of what he what he's seen and and how it's virtually impossible to to uh, dismiss it at this point. Anyway, let's carry on. This is a, a thread by Tracy Beans. So, after reading this judge's order in detail, it is useless to ex. It is a useless exercise to try and counter it with any evidence because he didn't use any to come to his decision. What an absolute disgrace it truly is. So instead, let's talk about what the order did not address, which is much more indicative of willful, willful ignorance on the part of the judge who even was stunned at some of what, what was presented as evident as evidenced by his reaction in open court. How you leave any of this out is beyond me. For the purpose of this thread, we are going to use the judge's interpretation of the law, which, as Barnes' law points out, is inherently flawed. I know Carrie Lake's attorneys are working on the appeal now. I'm not an attorney, but I'm willing to give this a go. We are going to analyze day one testimony. We are going to start with Stephen Richter, the Maricopa County recorder. He testified that when early ballots leave polling centers, no one knows how many there are. This is a problem with their process, clearly. Richter is asked if he recalls sending an email stating that he couldn't reconcile the SOS listings of votes with the amount of votes Maricopa received. Remember, they were throwing out the numbers of ballots with confidence in the press. He is then asked if if he had anyone from his office call uh, Runbeck asking them how many ballots they processed. He waffles at particular uh, terminology, standard wriggling. He is then asked whether or not he knows if the AG has opened up an investigation into the 2022 election. He replies a resounding no. That's interesting given a, le- given a letter that, was, that went out asking many questions in regards to this election. They stopped questioning, questioning him then. Now Richter is on cross-examination. And this, isn't mat- and this isn't material, but he is asked about why he isn't dressed in a suit. He replies he is on his first vacation in four years and didn't have time to get to get one before testimony. Remember, this was on 1221. He knew by at least 1216 of the potential. Uh, the above is taken from the motion to quash his subpoena and just goes to show how smarmy and shady these people are. If I had any... 
had an inkling I may need to testify in tri in a trial like this. I would have packed clothes for it or at least a nice top. <laughs> they immediately start w with trying to shift blame for the non-responsive public record requests. He then is asked about the process for counting early votes and why they can not be countered bef uh, not be counted before they go through the process of vetting. All of this is important. We are getting foundation down right now. Remember, this is a cross-exam. Plaintiffs called him as a witness. He is then asked about the COS for the ballots, uh, the chain of custody or the... Uh, I'm not sure what that abbreviation means. Just a second. Can't remember. Uh, he walks through the process as it should happen. This isn't what happened as we will learn in just a bit. Also, he's saying, by, saying he says a bipartisan team. As Adam Carter, who, who was with me through the, uh, through the stream said, bipartisan is page and struck. <laughs> I'm not going to assume he meant one from each party, but, that's what, uh, but that is being generous with the way these folks use words. You want a partisan team, one Democrat and one Republican, etc. Otherwise, you end up with uh, Ricker who calls himself a Republican, but starts an anti-Lake PAC. Then defense asks Richter why his party affiliation, even though, <clears throat> even though I don't know how it's, it is relevant, they brought it up and, <clears throat> and asked him directly if he is purposefully sabot if he purposefully sabotaged the election. And I am sure that I am sure that if he did, he would have told us all just then. Also, they bring up the printer issue. We produce records because it is the appropriate thing to do and we have nothing to hide. It stands to reason then that if they did not produce records, it would be, it would be because they did have something to hide. More on this in a moment. He asked one more time, he's asked one more time about the printers and we are on the redirect. Redirect is when, where the plaintiff, they call this the witness, can ask a few follow-up questions in regards to the testimony given in cross-examination to clear up and hammer, hammer down anything they want. On redirect, uh, Richter or Richer is asked if he opposed Lake for governor. Rich, uh, Richter doesn't answer. Then he is asked about the PAC. He, sta he started to spend money opposing Lake. He states that is 100% false and that, and that he stated... He started, said PAC. Oh, really? Let's unpack this a bit. Uh, exhibit A. We will go into the generous donors in a moment. Uh, this is a... This, she took a, basically a post to his. Um, yeah, Stephen Richer, Richter. Or Richer. Thanks for a few generous donors. This is now launching. Join me if you care about traditional Republican stuff. Free people, free markets, rule of law but also don't believe in conspiracies about the 2020 election or that January 6th was a, was a tourist event. So it's in response to him starting uh, anti-Carrie Lake, basically, uh, <clears throat> page, I guess. And now to the generous donor, pro-democracy Republican top donor was a man named Francis Najafi. Who else did he donate to? Oh, a whole bunch of, uh, looks like Democrats. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of reading this in real time with you guys, so I know it's not the most professional or coming across the most professional, but I kind of wanted to get down to, to, uh, the, the goods here with you guys. Okay. Back to testimony. Next plaintiff calls Robert Jarrett, the coal the co-elections director responsible for tabulation and all in-person voting, as well as warehousing, training, uh, warehousing and training poll workers, etc. Jared is the man responsible for logic and accuracy testing and programming of the tabulators, as well as training. This is the guy. Seems like a very extensive process to make sure tabulators are working. Jared says thousands of test ballots, says thousands of test ballots through the equipment to make sure they are accurately programmed to tabulate the ballots. We will get into in, we will get into that in more detail now. Because Maricopa County moved to vote uh, moved to vote centers, all 12k of the potential ballots need to be ready need to be printed depending on what voter is voting. 
They call this ballot on demand. Jarrett testifies that they perform logic and accuracy testing before election day. This testimony is important. This is very important. The question is asked, what would happen if a ballot was printed out of a, uh, out of a ballot demand printer at the vote center and was printed with a 19 uh, inch image image on a 20 inch paper and run through the tabulator? Uh, Jarrett dodges the question and defense comes into the rescue. Defense actually states that to answer, he would have to speculate. We know this to be false now. He doesn't have to speculate and Jarrett knows that. The timing marks, uh, the timing marks on the ballot matter. There was no 19 inch ballot images installed in the ballot on demand printers. People with nothing to hide generally don't, don't try this hard to pretend there was, there weren't any problems. Less than a minute after he will contradict himself. He states now, I don't recall ballots issues, uh, issues with ballots being re rejected. That is implausible. Here he contradicts the answer he had just given in a large portion of the testimony about their process and forecasting turnout on election day and whether or not they factor potential issues, etc. But I would like to keep focus on the 1920 inch ballot ballot image discrepancy. So she's breaking it down to the, um, for those of you that followed the trial, I know that might've been a little bit confusing, but it really did come down to the fact that, um, they were printing 19 inch images on 20 inch, um, pieces of paper and the tabulators were rejecting it. And, um, <clears throat> they got caught in the testimony, basically on, on this trial, they got caught with that and they had to, they basically, especially this Jarrett, he had, he was called as a witness twice. He was called as a witness for the, uh, uh, prosecution or the plaintiffs and then he was also called by the defense um, and he completely switched his story and that's what she was highlighting right there um, so they knew they knew damn well before the um, before the election that this would throw out the ballots and it's appearing like these tabulators or this um, election fraud was ran mainly in well-known uh, Republican areas so a lot of these ballots were thrown out because they were 19 inch images printed, printed on 20 inches, 20 inch pages. So that it got, really, it got down to the nuts and bolts of how they did a big portion of the election fraud in Maricopa County and the judge still threw it out. So now what I want to do is I want to, uh, highlight for you guys. Um, Kari Lake was on, um, O'Bannon's war room today, actually. And I just want you guys to listen to uh, what she had to say, because of course they're appealing it. And uh, I think she's far from overfighting this. And realistically, this isn't uh, the end of this fight. Um, as you guys are well aware, um, there's been an appeals court in Georgia that actually sent um, one of the 2020 election fraud cases back to the original court and said, you need to review this because there's plenty of evidence supporting the fact that there was election fraud in 20, in the 2020 election in Georgia, not to mention that Tory Maris has a case that's in front of the Supreme court. And there's another one. Um, I forget the, the name, uh, Branshaw or Brad, 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 something. It's a B name, uh, that's in, that's in the Supreme court as well. Uh, in regards to 2020. So this is just the, the you know, you've, we've all heard the saying that the wheels of justice grind slow. Um, I don't think with, with Kari Lake, with what she even exposed in her first one, you know, the mainstream media is just, just shitting all over this. And they're saying that there's no hope. Um, and her second case is, is going to be just as, as bad, if not worse. Well, uh, pfft. Anybody that watched this, that's the one thing about getting this stuff on the public record. This judge is now forever fucked for throwing this case out because the evidence is clear. Uh, there was plenty of evidence that this was intentional. That's what they had to prove. The plaintiffs had to prove that this was intentional and they did. They easily did in this trial. Um, so the appeals court I'm sure is going to, uh, is going to, uh, you know, provided she doesn't get in front of another compromised judge, uh, will side with Kari, Kari Lake, but it might take two years at this point. Like that's how long it took for 2020. Like we're almost in 2023. And, um, the Georgia appeals court sent one back just, just recently, like in December. So that's almost three years on a 2020 case. So now we're in the long run, right? The long way home. <laughs> now you get the reason for the opening song. But anyway, let's, let's listen to Kari Lake on, on, uh, O'Bannon's war room because she, uh, you know, she's nothing but a beacon of hope. I, I like, I like her. Uh, she's, she's a fighter and she's just definitely not going to give up. So let's, let's turn it over to Steve O'Bannon and, uh, Kari Lake. I mean, people worried about her, her, uh, security because of really, I think the first governor 
uh, or anybody had run for governor in America that really called out the cartels and how she was going to shut them down. And people have to understand the cartels are in thick in Arizona, particularly with money laundering through real estate, big time, big league. So this was a central issue. We've asked Carrie Lake to come on. Carrie, we had Todd Benzman on. It looks like reports are coming out that Title 42 may be lifted tonight. In fact, the Biden regime on Friday night, late, uh, when uh, so much of the, uh, the the topic of conversation was your lawsuit in this uh, in this obviously stolen election in Arizona, they dumped on Friday night late that November was the worst month I think in the history of the country as far as uh, as far as the illegal invasion of our country uh, with over I think two hundred thousand more and one hundred fifty thousand or seventy five thousand to one hundred thousand getaways, so just horrific numbers. Which October November combined or or worse than actually a year what is your sense in the great state of arizona is what's going to happen whether it's tonight the supreme court does it or tomorrow night or in the next couple of days what is going to happen to the great state of arizona uh when uh the uh title 42 is lifted and remain in mexico is uh is not enforced ma'am oh the floodgates are going to open up i mean we know how bad it is here because we're suffering under Joe Biden's policies and a lack of leadership here in Arizona to take control of the border, which we have a right to do under the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10. But we don't have uh, anybody in our government who's willing to do that and protect the people. We are going to see the floodgates open wide up. We're going to open wide and we're going to see people pour in like we've never seen before. And watch as we watch the drug addiction and the drug overdoses go even higher. You talked about the numbers, Steve, that you just got. November was the worst month. Wait until we see the new numbers on fentanyl overdoses, which is taking out a generation of young people. That's going to skyrocket. The cartels control Arizona. The voters went to the ballot box in November because they're fed up. And the only way to stop me from stopping the cartels was to steal an election. It's all intertwined. And we're going to watch crime go through the roof even higher than it is. We're going to watch people literally in shock when they see what happens to this great state of Arizona. If they think it's bad now with the Southern invasion at our border, it's gonna get only worse here in real short order, like within I think 24 hours of them lifting this, we'll see big changes. I, I wanna make sure the global audience that watches the show understands something with Carrie Lake, I mean with, uh, with Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs is running, and one of the people on her ticket was actually a lawyer for the cartel, right, who ran for secretary of state, who would be managing the elections in the future, was a, was a lawyer for the cartels. Your your message was so powerful that Abbott immediately said, oh, I'm going to declare an invasion on the southern border, too. I'm going to declare now. Was I'm going to declare an invasion on the southern border. And Ducey started putting back up the Mack trucks down the border. He was so humiliated by what you did. Is there any doubt in your mind that Katie Hobbs is by far the most radical person ever to seek office in the United States, high office, about the sovereignty of the country and the sovereignty of the states that she would purport to lead, ma'am? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's more radical than Gavin Newsom. And she's more dangerous because I don't think she's got a high IQ. I don't think she even realizes what the heck's going on on the border. And she has no policy to change it. Her policy is to pour more money in down there to help uh, uh, bring in more people and and deal with the crowds of people coming over rather than stop it, turn people around and say, do not enter. We're taking back control of the border. She is going to be a controlled somebody who's in office, who is controlled by people above her, and they're going to be calling the shots. She will be a puppet and she has zero plans. She wouldn't even appear on a debate stage and respect the people of the state enough to tell them what her plans are. It's despicable. And this is the reason they had to steal the election. They had to rig the election in broad daylight. They didn't care, Steve, how obvious it was. They didn't care that people who were standing in line could see right before their eyes that this election was being stolen. That is how dangerous I am to their plan to keep this state run by the cartels. At any level, they had to make sure that I could not win so that they could continue with their assault on the people of Arizona, with a wide open border, with the cartels in control, pushing drugs across, trafficking people, trafficking children. It is absolutely appalling. And this state is going to go to hell in a handbasket if Katie Hobbs is allowed to take control. 
This is also why she's now calling for sanctions on you. You've contested this election and really a very well, tightly argued case, which I think has huge grounds for appeal. And they took out the signature verification, which is probably the biggest aspect of it. She's calling now for sanctions on you personally, right, to, to shut down your yeah. voice? I'm just looking through. Uh, it's almost comical. I mean, I, I if I didn't laugh, I'd probably pull my hair out because of the insanity of what they did on Election Day to sabotage our sacred vote. And now they're trying to sanction me to pay for their lawyers. This is outrageous. The, the judge, by the mere fact that he allowed this case to go forward, he looked at our lawsuit, he allowed two of the counts to go forward, shows that it had merit. Hobbs has absolutely no respect for the law. I can't even believe that she didn't recuse herself from this uh, botched election. And I now see why. She didn't even campaign. She didn't debate. She hid from people, hid in her basement, had no policy because she knew that she could rig the election and walk into office. And I'm telling you what, Steve, if we don't get serious about turning our elections around and restoring order and reforming them, we're not going to have a country much longer. You said we're 45 seconds to midnight. When it comes to our country, that's exactly where we are if we have rigged elections. And the fact that they want to say I had no merit with this lawsuit. I am standing up for the people of this state, the people who were done wrong on Election Day and the millions of people who live outside of Maricopa County, whose vote was watered down by this bogus election in Maricopa County. The people of Arizona want me to stand up for them and get some answers as to what happened in our election. We really should have our elected officials doing that. Where is the governor? Why is he not standing up? Where are all these elected officials? Why are they not standing up to the way these elections are run, where they're changing the ballot on Election Day to sabotage our vote? Yeah, It's outrageous. Ma and I won't Maricopa stop. If they think this Maricopa will make me stop, they're wrong. Mar Maricopa County, it's a global situation. Just ask the 40,000 dead women and children in Ukraine and the people taking incoming shelling today in eastern Ukraine. Ask right. the people in Taiwan, in the South China Sea, ask them right now how important Maricopa County was to changing the direction of this country. Ask the people in the Rio Grande Valley or the people in New York City where the mayor is right. asking for a billion-dollar bailout. Where do we stand right now in the process? Walk our audience through. What you say you're not going to give up. What, how does that manifest itself today? Well, really quickly, what you just said, all of these things are interconnected. And when we have rigged elections, Steve, this is the result. We're on the verge of a world war. We've got inflation that's out of control. We have a border that's wide open, shockingly wide open, about to get worse. We've got drugs falling into our children's hands. We have outrageous things being taught to our children in school. This is the result of stolen elections. It started even before 2020. We've got to get control of our elections. We're going to appeal this. We've sent our response uh, when it comes to the sanction. We've sent our response over to the judge, and uh, we think that there's, we had absolute merit with this lawsuit, and we're going to appeal it and take it even higher because we believe that if we can even get some of these other counts, you mentioned the signature verification. If the good people of Arizona saw what constituted a fair signature on these mail-in ballots, I guarantee you they would stand up and say no more mail-in ballots. It is outrageous what they let go through as a real signature. Nobody in their right mind, if you were blind in one eye and half blind in the other, you would not have approved these signatures. And they're letting them go through by the tens of thousands. Uh, in, as far as the process goes, are you going to appeal this week? Because I think uh, the inauguration yes. would be next week. So it'll be, you're going to appeal this week? We're appealing this week. As a matter of fact, right before I came on, I was on the phone with my attorney. I'm going to call him as soon as I'm done here, and we're going to work through uh, our appeal plan. You know, this is a, a shortened window. That's why the the trial came on so quickly, and we only had two days to prove our case. We had hundreds. We had we had a thousand documents for the judge to go over. Hundreds of pages for him to look through. He told us he was going to look through those before he made his ruling. We had uh, all kinds of witnesses who worked with MCTEC, who talked about a, a lack of chain of custody, who talked about a lack of signature verification. We have so much evidence in this case. We wish we could have presented it to show the whole world in court. But we only had five hours to make our case, which is very unfortunate for the people of Arizona. Uh, Carrie, how do people uh, get to you on social media? 
So there you have it. Um, obviously, Carrie Lake's going to appeal it, and hopefully she can get in front of uncorrupted or unswayable judges uh, in the appeals process. Uh, like I said, now we're going to get into the, the part of the law that grinds super slow. So Katie Hobbs is going to be inaugurated next week, um, and they're going to just pretend like they already are. They're going to pretend that this didn't even happen. But this this is a very interesting point. Um, so Car- Carrie Lake was all about Arizona sovereignty. She was going to take the power back from the federal government in the U.S. and she was going to c- close up the borders. She was going to uh, really focus on the cartels. Um, the cartels are run by the CIA. You guys are fully aware of that. The CIA basically runs the drug the drug trade. Also, not to mention that the CIA has now been busted for killing an American president with John F. Kennedy. Um, so the CIA is pretty much public enemy number one. But look at what they're willing to do on a state provincial level with leaders that are against them, that are that are really pushing sovereignty. Now you've got two, not one, but two. You've got two premiers in uh, in Canada that are pushing this like mad. Uh, Danielle Smith in uh, in Alberta and Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. Both have uh, basically, uh, Danielle Smith has passed the Sovereignty Act and Scott Moe has pushed uh, or has passed the, or the legislation's going to hear the Saskatchewan First Act. Now the globalists have, have worked their magic and they've got, they basically have got the natives to turn against these acts. Um, now I, that might be an unpopular thing to say, but uh, we also know that the globalists got their uh, their dirty dick beaters all over the, the natives in uh, off the, the the west coast of of BC uh, when it came to blocking pipelines. We know through um, over a barrel. Uh, I think it's Alison Krauss uh, produced over a barrel, and we saw that the funding uh, went to the natives from the globalists to stop pipelines, and and they used um, they used the uh, environmental angle. Uh, to play it, but what what is it far is it a far reach to assume that the um, the inland natives are against sovereignty acts within Canada because of a globalist push or globalist money? Um, the sovereignty act and the Saskatchewan First Act would do nothing but benefit the natives in this in both provinces because the natives are are intertwined with um, the energy sector. Um, so why would they ever speak out against it? Uh, the, the, the energy sector has done nothing but profit, uh, created profits for them. So very interesting that you've got natives now standing up and saying, no, we, we object to these, right? Uh, if you want my honest opinion, this is manipulation 101, globalist manipulation 101. And I think that, uh, there's probably millions of dollars for any reserve that wants to stand up and, and say, Hey, no, we're not down with this. Um, but the problem is the reserve would never see that money. That's going to just go to the chief and the board or the and the band. The same old story, the same old thing that you see in, in normal politics happens on every reserve too. The corruption is so thick, it's un- unbelievable. But um, what I wanted to do was focus, I want to narrow down, I've been meaning to cover this for weeks now, but I wanted to listen to Danielle Smith break down the Sovereignty Act. It's it's similar, there are some differences to the Saskatchewan First Act. If we have time, we'll go, we'll go through both of them. But it's, it's, it's funny how um, the similarities between what Kari Lake was going to do in Arizona and what's happening in Alberta and Saskatchewan. I, I, we really need to focus on this because they are actively, like, so Danielle Smith is up for re-election in seven months. And because she is openly uh, striking against globalist policy and globalist I- idealism uh, through fighting back against the federal government, what do you want to bet? That what just happened to Kerry Lake in Arizona is going to happen to Danielle Smith. And who do you think is going to be in power if they steal that election from Danielle Smith? It'll be Rachel Notley, a fucking globalist puppet. I guarantee it. If they do run an election fraud in Alberta, you can bet your bottom dollar that Notley will be back in power. But let's listen to Danielle Smith explain the Sovereignty Act. So a lot of you have probably heard this and a lot of you probably haven't, but it's a very good breakdown of what this is all about. Well, thank you, everyone. We would have been here 15 minutes earlier, but we had an unexpected event in the legislature today. I do want to welcome you, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful to be here on this exciting day. Today marks a new dawn for Alberta, for Canada, and for the federation that binds us together into one great nation. Canadians take pride in the fact that our nation is a mosaic and not a melting pot, both culturally and in terms of our government. Canada's provinces and territories are part of a larger whole, but are not subordinate to it. As Albertans, we love our Canada deeply. 
This is our home, and we are honoured to be contributing members. But the way Ottawa has treated the province, most especially Alberta, is unacceptable. Albertans are demanding action to restore a relationship that respects Alberta's sovereign areas of provincial jurisdiction as defined by the Constitution. The Canadian Constitution was intended to create a respectful union where the provinces would have their own areas of jurisdiction, free from interference, with autonomy over the laws and policies within their provinces' own spheres of influence. Yet this nation has not always operated smoothly. Over the years, there have been a shamefully large number of missed opportunities for shared growth and prosperity between the provinces and the federal government. In particular, a long and painful history of mistreatment and constitutional overreach from Ottawa has for decades caused tremendous frustration for Albertans. In response, we are finally telling the federal government, no more. It's time to stand up for Alberta. Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, is a first step in standing up for Albertans and pushing Ottawa back into its own lane. When passed, this legislation will create a constitutional legal framework for Alberta to push back against federal interference and encroachment. The federal government is actively attempting to landlock our natural resources penalize our energy and agriculture producers, cut fertilizer use, control the delivery of health, education, childcare, and other social programs with strings attached funding, and confiscate legally owned firearms. And that's just a few examples. The framework provided under the Act will allow Alberta's Legislative Assembly to identify constitutional concerns with a specific federal program or piece of legislation, and then recommend a measured and appropriate response to prevent or frustrate that federal intrusion. Our province will not enforce unconstitutional or harmful Ottawa policies or laws in Alberta. Albertans come first, always. Importantly, this act fully respects Indigenous and treaty rights, the Constitution, court decisions, and does not force private citizens or companies to do anything contrary to federal law or policy. It's intended to be fully democratic and transparent. Each proposed use of the act will require a special motion to be passed in the Legislative Assembly, which will be subject to open discussion, examination, and review. This framework is both a useful tool and a call to action. It is intended to be used selectively, thoughtfully, and towards the goal of fighting federal initiatives which would harm our province, our people, and our prosperity. We expect to table a number of special motions under this act in the upcoming spring legislative session, dealing with the examples of federal overreach that I just mentioned earlier. Let it be clear, nothing in this bill involves separation nor does it provide a means to accomplish such ends. Rather, it is a way for this great province to hold the federal government accountable to the constitutional principles that serve as the very foundation of our country's governance. We are proud Canadians, and we are committed to building a strong and united Canada, but we cannot do that from a position of weakness. We must do that from a position of strength that the principles of our Constitution have provided us. Alberta and Canada are both worth fighting for, and that fight is with an out-of-control federal government in Ottawa that sees Alberta and all provinces as its subordinate rather than its partner. We must push back and take a stand. We must protect the rights of Albertans and our great province, and we must stand up for what is right. Thank you, and I now invite the Justice Minister to speak. It's ready and almost. <laughs> That's not the only one. Two more days. Two more days. Are you keeping yours? <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much, everyone. And as Premier Smith said, Albertans are proudly Canadian. We sing our nationals anthem. We cheer our national sports teams, and we contribute our resources and our talents to the benefit of the whole. At the same time, Albertans are proudly and uniquely Albertan. We have our own local priorities, interests and freedoms. And we want to make sure that Alberta's voice is heard in ensuring that Albertan concerns are addressed. From the very start of Confederation, the House of Lords made it clear that the object of the laws which created Canada were neither to weld provinces into one, nor to subordinate provincial governance to a central authority. Canada was to have a federal government that represented all and would be entrusted with the administration of those items in which everyone had a common interest, but each province retained its own independence and autonomy. Our courts have likewise made it clear that provinces do not occupy 
a lesser position to the federal government and that the principles of federalism are a political and legal response to the underlying political realities, social realities, and diversity of our nation. Now, for a long time, the federal government hasn't respected this division of powers. They have continued to encroach into Alberta's rightful jurisdiction. They have continued to demand that we do their bidding. And they have continued to add terms and conditions to their funding of what should be provincial programs, all of which continue to cause harm to our province, our people, and our prosperity. And this is why we have introduced the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Bill, which is a framework on how our province will take a strong stance against federal government overreach and interference in areas which are properly within our rightful jurisdiction. Albertans expect and demand that the federal government respect the federal provincial division of powers. Sometimes they don't. And when they don't, we need to do more than simply point out that they are overstepping their authority. We need strong action. The Constitution of Canada intentionally distributed powers between the federal government and the provinces. We are supposed to be equal partners, respecting the spheres of authority granted to each other in order to best serve our respective communities and to best address their respective needs and priorities. This proposed legislation provides us with a sound legal framework and a democratic and constitutional approach for asserting Alberta's jurisdiction, rights, and freedoms. The Act sets out a transparent process that must be followed before Alberta's government can issue any directions or actions pursuant to it. This process will ensure that any use of the Act reflects the will of the Legislative Assembly, the will of Albertans, and is in line with the Constitution. I'd like to outline for you the steps that would be taken in relation to using this piece of legislation. The Premier or any minister would introduce a motion for a resolution on how they propose to use the Act. This motion would identify a federal matter. This could be a federal program or a federal piece of legislation as being either unconstitutional or causing harm to Albertans and would propose steps for Cabinet to take. The Legislative Assembly would then debate the proposed resolution and the resolution would pass only if the majority of MLAs voted in favour of it. If the motion doesn't pass, the resolution would fail and the proposed use of the Act wouldn't take place. If the motion does pass, the resolution would succeed and Cabinet would then decide what specific steps or actions the province should take in response to the federal government's overreach. The steps or actions taken would depend entirely on the motion passed and on what Cabinet believes would be most effective as a means to ensuring that the federal government does not overstep its authority. Now, no matter what the particular steps or actions in response may be, they would have to meet all applicable constitutional and legal requirements. Cabinet could, for example, decide to change any provincial enactments. This could include amending legislation, regulations, or other orders in order to assert provincial jurisdiction. Cabinet could also give specific directives to, and this is from the legislation, quote, provincial entities and to the Crown, such as specific ministers, end quote. And these provincial entities include schools, most public post-secondary learning institutions, municipalities, and municipal police services. The Act would only allow Cabinet to issue orders in Council which are constitutional. That is to say, directives which fall within provincial legislative jurisdiction. If, an, uh, if the use of the Act against a federal program or federal piece of legislation was approved by the Legislative Assembly and later challenged in court, the Alberta government would respect the court's decision. Nothing in this bill changes the government's commitment to Canada and our respect for the rule of law. Rather, this bill is a clarion call for the provinces to assert our constitutionally mandated rights and jurisdiction. We note that our neighbouring province of Saskatchewan has introduced the Saskatchewan First Act in its legislature. Although the proposed Saskatchewan First Act is very different from the proposed Alberta Sovereignty within a United Canada Act in terms of its contents and its approach, both pieces of legislation are similarly aimed at affirming provincial authority and resisting federal overreach. 
We're proud to be among the first provinces to build a growing movement centered around respect for constitutional rights and freedoms. Now, for many years, Albertans have voiced concerns about growing federal overreach and intrusion into matters of provincial... Well, it kind of cut out on us there, but you guys get the picture. I I still want to swing over to Saskatchewan and kind of compare and contrast these two acts. Uh, Both are basically directed at, um, you know... Uh, amending the, not necessarily amending, but uh, reinforcing the fact that we have the constitutional right uh, to specific jurisdictions uh, within the province. Now let's uh, let's turn it over to Saskatchewan so we can kind of hear how they're similar and 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 maybe different in a few ways. This week, the Saskatchewan government introduced the Saskatchewan First Act. That's legislation aimed at changing the province's constitution and, according to the government, protecting the province's economy from harmful federal policies. Justice Minister Bronwyn Eyre tabled the legislation and she joins me now from Regina. First of all, Minister Eyre, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Now, uh, the question is succinctly, because this can get quite complex, but succinctly and concretely, what would the Saskatchewan First Act do? Well, we are unilaterally amending our uh, provincial constitution um, as we are able to do under Section 45 um, of the Constitution Act um, and thereby asserting uh, exclusive jurisdiction um, under 92A of the Constitution over natural resources and that which is exclusive jurisdiction. And, And bear in mind, this is not an amendment to the federal constitution. It's an amendment to the Constitution Act 1867, the provincial part of that, and our own Saskatchewan constitution. Okay, now since your announcement, I've been looking at some of the reaction from constitutional scholars, uh, and they've been saying that, and you mentioned it, these powers, for example, over non-renewable resources, their development and exploitation, electricity generation, regulation of provincial industries, you just mentioned they're specifically spelled out in section 92 and 93 of the Canadian Constitution. Why do you need this act? We need it to assert and embed within uh, provincial constitution, the provincial constitution, um, the, the core powers, and that is a, a legal constitutional term, the core powers, the interjurisdictional immunity, another constitutional term of those exclusive powers, exclusive, and that was a, a term that was not lightly arrived on, exclusive powers under Section 92. They exist already, but the infringements that we are seeing over and over uh, by the federal government into exclusively provincial jurisdiction um, it is, it has, has, has increased certainly over the last number of years, and we feel that it has constitutional weight to amend the provincial constitution that's not done lightly and is really very, very rare. And we feel that in stipulating interjurisdictional immunity, in stipulating and enumerating core powers, and really in trumpeting to the country and to the federal government and to the courts, uh, that there are exclusive federal powers and there are exclusive provincial powers. Okay. Important. To be concrete, I mean, let's look at you. I mean, you were energy minister, I believe, when Saskatchewan, when your government uh, was party to the court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, and that was about the government's uh, carbon pricing scheme. The Supreme Court made very quick work of that and said the Trudeau government had uh, federal jurisdiction over the environment and protection of the environment. Would something like this in any but way the- change that ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada? Sorry to interrupt. I was going to say in that case, of course, and, and you're right, um, there, there, that was dealt with, but it was dealt with through peace, order and good government okay. or POG, which really was a federal trump card on provincial jurisdiction. We've also seen, however, with the Bill C-69 case in Alberta, um, that the, the wording and the holding by the Court of Appeal there was that the federal government had taken a quote unquote wrecking ball to exclusive jurisdiction uh, under 92A. So this is by no means resolved. POG was, as I say, a nuclear option, but but the, the jurisdictional issue about federal and provincial jurisdiction is, is very much laid out in the Constitution, okay. and we feel that it is important to formally amend and embed it in okay. ours. So that, be- that, that begs the big question then. The bottom line is, A, uh, you're saying that you think that this might give you a better chance in both cases like that, like Bill 69 and the carbon pricing. Uh, do you think then, does this lay the way for trying to re-litigate 
any of that legislation? Can you and would you? Well, every, everything is on, is on the table. I, I mean, we have a number. It's not only the carbon tax. I mean, let's keep in mind, we have a number of existentially harmful um, federal pieces of legislation, proposed legislation, regulation uh, coming down the line. Uh, the clean electricity regulations, no fossil fuel generated power by 2035. That would effectively turn off the lights in Saskatchewan. SAS Power has said it is literally impossible to transition that quickly. Uh, the Queen Elizabeth Power Station just down the road here um, in Saskatoon could powers the city uh, with natural gas. Uh, so that is an existential uh, problem and an economic harm. The federal fuel standard, $700 million a year uh, for diesel consumption, gas consumption, the province of Saskatchewan set to come into play next year. Carbon tax number two, again, retail sector, rail, ag, naturally just fueling your car and, and power and, and gassing up your, your home. Um, there are massive issues with that legislation. So it, we really see, you have to see this from Saskatchewan's perspective against a backdrop of, of cumulative economic harm and potential economic harm in the future. And that is why in, in the bill, we are putting in place an independent economic tribunal, which will quantify the dollars and cents of these policies. And, and potentially then the idea could be that we could use that evidence um, as admissible um, or, for example, in the case of a reference to the Court of Appeal, um, an interlocutory injunction, it needs um, one of the tests for an interlocutory injunction is irreparable harm. And that's why we okay. feel that it is important to quantify and define and assess uh, the economic harm of some of these policies on, on Saskatchewan. And, and keep in mind, this is economic okay. harm being perpetrated on just one region of the country. All right. Well, Minister Ayer, we will watch this with great interest. I want to thank you for uh, speaking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much. So basically between both acts, you can see that they are, um, they are really focusing, uh, drilling down on the the constitution of each province and, uh, and pushing back on harmful government policy. And uh, you heard, uh, uh, the Energy Minister of Saskatchewan men uh, mentioned that um, um, this this new legislation passed by the federal government to go completely EV vehicles and no no fossil fuel generated power by 2035. It's it's a pipe dream. Um, I'm glad that the provinces are already all over this, but it's it's not just that. This isn't limited to that. This comes to the gun ban. All the you know the way of life in these two provinces across Canada. Uh, you need you really need the rest of the provinces to wake up and start jumping on board with this, or they're just going to keep marching forward, right? Uh, we've already had our premier say that anybody that returns or um, uh, turns in firearms to, to anywhere right now is, is he, he came out and said, don't do it. <laughs> so that's, that's what's happening in our, in our province. So we know that we've got our provincial government in, in Saskatchewan and Alberta, Yukon and New Brunswick have all basically, when it comes to the guns, have all said, no, we're not going to enforce it. Uh, so there's problems there. But with this new energy BS that we're seeing, this is just uh, all they're doing is creating investment opportunities. They're all invested in green energy. So that's why they're doing it, right? Even if it's unattainable, all it's going to do is boost the investments and they'll get out before the before it collapses. But uh, in the meantime, they're you know, it's not like they're not mon uh, laundering enough money through Ukraine. Uh, to 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 look at look at Trudeau's net value, how it's jumped what three hundred million since he's been in office. <clears throat> so it's it's very interesting. We're going to follow um, obviously both of these closely and Carrie Lake because it all ties together. Like Carrie Lake was saying, this all ties together. Like I said, if you start seeing prov uh, provinces pushing back and having success. Uh, pushing back and, and listening to their people, which they have to do on the provincial level because then they'll get, get voted out super quick. Um, then you might see the globalists turn to election fraud up here. And the first one we got to watch is Danielle Smith's election in seven months in Alberta. Because if I can guarantee you, if Rachel Notley gets back in power in Alberta, it was election fraud. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. The people of Alberta push so hard to get people that I know pushed so hard to get Danielle Smith in. They got rid of um, Kenny, Jason Kenny, because he was starting to do the, the, uh, the bidding of the globalists. And they put Danielle Smith in power. The people of Alberta, powerful people, put her in power. So if, if Notley gets in, it, you can bet your bottom dollar it was election fraud. So that's why Car Carrie Lake's case 
is so important internationally. People have got to be paying attention to it. Anyway, my friends, um, just basically tying these two countries together in a roundabout way and, uh, and also highlighting the fact that, you know, it's taken almost three years for some of the 2020 cases to get to, to a point where they're going to be back in, in the, the, well, they won't be in the mainstream, but they're going to be back, back in court. Um, and they're not lost yet. So like I always say, very interesting times we live in my friends. So that's where we'll end this one. I'd like to, uh, wish you all a late Merry Christmas. Um, I was, uh, like the rest of you, I was, I was, uh, tied up with family and, uh, enjoyed Christmas. It was, it was good. I didn't have too much travel so far. Uh, it's been good. So I hope, I hope the rest of you have, have been able to stay, you know, relatively close to home and, uh, and enjoy your Christmases with your family. Uh, that's what it's all about. Um, the kid, the kids make Christmas obviously, right? Um, kids just make, you you do it for the kids (laughs) and the, uh, watching them with Christmas is what makes it all worthwhile. So I hope you all had an amazing Christmas and spent time with your loved ones. And, uh, yeah. As always, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. I just came off. I had two, three day back-to-back bans. The second one was completely retarded. Uh, they just banned me because they, I think, I think they started going through, if you want my opinion with the amount of friends that I had that were also banned at the same time, I think they started going through, uh, uh, messenger messages and they were, I was banned for three days on, on, they had a list of a litany of like bands. They didn't tell me what any of them were, but there was like 20 of them. And then it actually came from messenger. So if any of you went through a recent, uh, uh, Facebook ban, it was probably because of messages that you sent on messenger, but mine was completely false and made up. So I, I didn't necessarily appeal. I, I reported a problem with them and uh, screenshot their, their stupid crap. And, uh, and just basically said, care to explain how this happened when I wasn't, I can prove that I wasn't on Facebook during the time that you said it was said it happened. But you know, hindsight, I, I kind of think what that's what they're doing now is they're going through your messenger messages. And if they don't like anything you say there, they're going to start handing out bands like uh, Tic Tacs. The email is Canadian Patriot radio at gmail.com. The telegram room is, um, t.me backslash CPR underscore two. And the website is Canadian Patriot radio.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in again, my friends. And until next time in all thy armed sons command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.